This conversation, like most getting better acquainted conversations, took place a few years ago. So when we talk about politics, we're not talking about modern politics. We're talking about the politics of a few years ago. But sadly, what we're talking about, although it seems a bit more theoretical to us at that time than it does now in the current climate, what we're talking about is still very real. Things are different in terms of the life stuff. I am going to lose my job and uh, going to be going freelance from March. And Richard has had not just one, but two children since then. And congratulations to Richard on his second child. It's uh, crazy that my friends keep having children and pretty wonderful. I don't want to say the world of adulthood has expanded to include you. Yeah. You know, and suddenly you find that, oh, crikey, I've got to fend for, you know, got to give life to this child. That's yeah, my responsibility now. Right, that's a big one. And, oh, there's a job here, and I've got these responsibilities with that, and I've got to, you know, these things aren't, you know, no one's testing whether you're actually ready for them, although <laughs> maybe in a roundabout way they are a little bit, but not really. And so you just sort of just try and do your best. I yeah, think and that's how people lessons. are. Yeah, no, I agree. I've got this, this 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 thing I keep saying to myself and to others at the moment. I guess is everybody's trying to get through life in whatever way they can, you know. And so I don't really try and I don't blame people for like I, I sort of look. Why are they like that? Why are they feeling like that? Why mm. am I like this? What's wrong? What you know? What mistakes do I make? Yeah. You know. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Richard again. Hello Richard. Hi Dave. So we've already done one of these conversations but I felt like, I don't know, I didn't capture everything that's great about you so I thought I would try and capture some more about you that I think is great <laughs> okay. no pressure well, <laughs> I thought I might have come across as a bit of a tit last time why uh, oh, because I think when you're talking earnestly about yourself for an hour you at the end of it you think oh I feel like a bit of a tit it's like when you have a conversation with someone you come away and you think oh no I just spoke, spoke about myself the whole time yeah, well, that is the that is the element of this show that you know I'm asking people to talk about themselves, so they shouldn't feel yeah. too bad. And actually, That's I true. think I think people are interested in people, and so I think people will get get stuff out of our first conversation. I think it was a good one, but I think yeah, I think yeah, it, it was it was earnest, and I don't know if much of the way we talk as as friends is that earnest. It was kind of not necessarily how we would talk. I think. Hmm. I mean, I think we do talk about personal stuff, but not in an earnest way, maybe. So I thought it would be interesting to do this show, um, covering the rest of the stuff. So I asked people how they met me, so we should cover that. Um, how did you meet me? Uh, we've covered this last time. Yeah, we? we did. But, you know, if this is somebody's first episode, okay. then they won't know. So we met at university, we both studied theatre studies. That's and right. We met in the first year, we met at the first sort of year group meeting we had with our tutors. And we walked back from that to our 
Well, we had different colleges, so I don't know where we were walking to, but we walked back. Oh, right. some of the way. No, yes, we walked back some of the way, and you had your hat on, and I thought... I remember that. He's walking hats. back with you, yeah. He's got a necklace. He's obviously an interesting chap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think interesting is one word for it. Um. Yeah, and the other question is, what do you do now? So you work for the Arts Council. Yep. Right, so when we were at university, mm. okay, um, we lived together for a year um, yeah. in the second year uh-huh. in a house with nine other people. Uh, it depends who you count, sort of all the, the sort of boyfriends, girlfriends, things like that. Yeah. There's eight of us who were, who were officially renting the house. Oh, right. other. Okay, no, there was, there was, hang on, there was... There was ten of us, I think, wasn't there? There's definitely eight, because there's, there's, there's Hannah in the upstairs, and there's Joe, Liz, Jess, Tim, yourself, Clive, me. Okay, there yes. was eight. You're right. And I am thinking, like, add two for... Jen, and sometimes... Yeah, Hannah's, Jen was pretty much there all the time. Hannah's boyfriend, Hannah's boyfriend was, there, was there a lot of time. Joe's boyfriend was there a lot of the time. Anyway, we lived in that house, and... The first night that we we went into that house, yeah, we had a big party. Was that actually the first night? I think it. Well, I think it was the first night we were all together. Yeah, okay, it was the first. And it was like we're having a thing, party, and yeah. we had like three course meal or something. It yeah, was a big, yeah, yeah. big thing. I can see where this is heading. <laughs> and uh, yeah, people keep telling me I need to be more confrontational on the show. Good, go for it. Uh, so, and. You and our friend Clive got very drunk, and yeah, all yeah. of us, in fact, got yes. drunk. Let's not single you out. You were no, in no no means the only people who were drunk. Yes. And you thought it would be a good idea to go around the neighbourhood with your trousers around your ankles singing The Land of Hope and Glory, didn't you? That is true. We did do that. It was around. I mean, it was. It, we, got, we went. Did it down the road. It wasn't around the neighbourhood, but yeah, around the yeah, around the street, like round one up the street and then back round the other side. No, of I the think street. we did. We walked to the end of the street, and then we pulled our trousers down around our ankles, put our arms around each other's shoulders, and then sang "Land of Hope and Glory" as we walked back to the house. Okay, why? Why we do this? I think because <laughs> I mean, this because we were drunk and we were. I suppose it's that thing when you're in a sort of a kind of um, a sort of almost like a game of chicken, where you kind of you know where it's the first person to flinch out or something. So and also kind of wanting to sort of egg each other on a bit, I suppose. So it's sort of okay. Is this this is quite an extreme thing to do? That'd be quite funny. Let's do it. I've got a feeling like Clive had. Or I or we together spoken about something like it as a funny thing, like a really, a, a, I suppose, imagining what would be the most inappropriate thing to do in that street. <laughs> and when we got drunk enough, we, that's what we decided <coughs> to do. I think it was probably hugely irritating to everyone who lived on the street because it was quite late <coughs> at night and we were quite loud and we were, you know, piss <coughs> students. And why was it? Why was it particularly bad to do it in that street? Because it was a very Asian Asian community, Asian and student community that lived on that street. Yeah, it was like half student, half Asian. And of course, most people who were living on the street wouldn't have looked out their windows to see us with our trousers around our ankles, seeing this as some pithy, ironic comment about the state of British nationalism <laughs> uh, and, and an, almost an act of uh, 
sort of surreal solidarity with the our Asian community neighbours, uh, but in fact would have instead seen it as purely irritating and probably a bit offensive. Yeah, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? Didn't Irony. occur to us at the time that it might <laughs> that might be the case, but it made our flatmate cry, didn't it? Because <laughs> she was so upset because you had offended the neighbours on the first night. Yeah, no, and that's that's you can absolutely understand that. I can understand you know? that. I can understand it, I think that. I think if I was faced with the same situation now, it, I wouldn't do the same thing. In fact, you know, I uh, nightly, well, not nightly. I don't get drunk nightly, but every time I get drunk, I don't do that these days, which is probably a good sign that I've. Do you want matured a bit? If you then. woke up in the middle of the night and there were some people singing outside your w- window, singing the ha- land of hope and glory, going down the, your street with their trousers around their ankles, what would you do? I'd almost certainly think, ah, oh, this is some pithy student ironic <laughs> statement about contemporary British nationalism. No, I think I'd probably think, oh, what a dickhead I was. What a dickhead you were. Yeah, that, that's a nice thing to think, at least if you. But with this, maybe with, with a sort like, of warm I used nostalgia. To be that. Yeah, I used to be like that. Yeah, I don't think I think I don't think I'd, I'd yeah I'd think uh, I was because I think I don't know, I think it might it might, it might it might even bring a tear to my eye thinking back to the <laughs> the I suppose because you because you have a sort of fearlessness when you're young, don't you? Yeah, which is for better or for worse, and that's instance probably for worse. But all the same, I think that kind of fearlessness is is, is the, uh, kind of you know you sort of lose that a bit as you get older, and I think that's you know when, when, when so when you see that fearlessness in someone else who you think oh yeah, I remember it's kind I of an instinct kind of... for being provocative as well it's one of the things that we both can occasionally get into together yeah uh, being a bit provocative I remember when we did Ed- the Edinburgh Festival when we took a show there I remember we were walking back and the tattoo was happening and everybody was being like really jingoistic because uh, the tattoo was going on and we were singing a song about in the bombing of Iraq really loudly oh yeah drunk yeah and uh, <laughs> that we made up yeah. And that was, we found that very funny and we knew that that was an ironic joke. But I remember our, our friend who was with us looking pretty. Uh, he was probably a bit less drunk and a bit less. Stupid, for, yeah. yeah it's pretty stupid what we did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ruining their evenings, potentially causing ourselves harm. Well, they're probably giving ourselves more credit than we're, we're due to say we're ruining their evenings. Yeah. A mild inconvenience yeah. in their trip home. A moment of annoyingness, not even surrealness, annoyingness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. And so I can, I can, I can identify with that. Yeah. I guess with that fearlessness comes a sense of. I must be the first person to do this. This I must be really kind of like I must be totally out there on a limb. I'm kind of I'm pioneering of new ground here. You know? Yeah. And then it's it's only when you're kind of a bit older and you're seeing some other people, other people doing exactly the same thing. I think that's how I felt then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, we, we, that's what I did. I mean, I think I think that's how we that's what we were doing in the training edge, our comedy show. We were like generally trying to do like push the boundaries, I guess, in a, yeah. in a way that we thought was very kind of original, but possibly is just a little bit like I think as people get older they their comedy seems if they're making comedy seems to get less and less uh provocative for provocative sake and you try and have something to say yeah you know? um I think also also when you're with friends like that from university and you're at a stage of your life where you're I suppose you sort of make it sound more grand by expressing it as it as testing people's boundaries but actually you're just sort of testing your own or kind of what can I get away with with this group of friends how far can we how yeah. far will the, the, the elasticity of this friendship kind of uh, allow for 
this this kind of the the, the darkest humour that we can conjure from uh, the the depths of our from, yeah, yeah. young male minds. Yeah, it's a funny thing about being young and a male. I think, and that's part of. I mean, that was a very testosterone-filled house. I think. Yeah, and I think that's probably fair to say. And it was there was four four men and four women, so it should have been about evenly balanced. But yeah, I think that the four men that were there were all well very cocky, I guess, in our own ways. Maybe less so Tim, but he's still when he gets drunk, uh, like to mess with people's heads. Which yeah. And I think probably Clive and myself are a bit undersexed, maybe, so there's a lot of testosterone kind of just <laughs> additional, you know. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> probably didn't help. There was, yeah, there was, yeah, that's that's fair to say. I just, it's, it's, it's when you say there's a house full of testosterone, it sounds like a house full of. Yeah, like we were getting men. some, yeah. But, uh, I don't we, think it's quite that. We weren't that kind of, we weren't those kind of men. We were Different the kind hats, of men, yeah. men, men with lots of testosterone, so we made nowhere to go. jokes. <laughs> so we did stupid routines. Um, yeah, like, I mean, when we did, when we did stuff, it, yeah, when we did it well, it went really well. It's, it's funny the thinking about you know, creativity, productivity. We were four, perhaps four, all of that has that story, very productive over that. Yeah, we were really like, productive. Yeah, and, and we got those engine. done. Yeah, I don't know how we managed to do that much. Stuff well, we didn't have jobs. That's it. That's why. That's and how. we didn't have responsibilities. It was great. Um, in that year, yeah. You did another memorable thing. Okay. Because me and Clive and our flatmate, uh, yeah. we bought yeah. uh, some pets at the beginning of that year. Yeah. Um, they were called Mouse and Mole, and they were two rats. Um, I bought the cage, which was the third of the price, and each of them brought one mat, rat each. So it was a third. They were we were thirds on that. Yeah. and I looked after those rats you know in the holidays when nobody else was around I looked after the rats and uh, one day I wasn't there at the time mm. but I've heard it recounted um, Clive had the rats out one of the rats I think and yeah. you took you had the rat yeah and the rat pissed on you yeah and you threw the rat down the stairs yeah as a kind of instinctual reaction, sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a. It's not something I'm proud of. It, it, seemed, <laughs> like it, it seemed funny at the time, and immediately felt like a terrible thing to do. I sort of try and kind of you know, slightly uh, sand off the edges of this incident by saying I was throwing it at uh, our friend and my girlfriend's. Uh, Jess's bosom, <laughs> uh, but obviously there's no way of guaranteeing it was going to land there. I was fairly confident it would do, but so you know that doesn't excuse it. In it that still... moment when you threw the rat, were you actually aiming at her breasts? Yes, definitely. I definitely was. You, I you put your hand on the Bible and swear it. I would put my hand you, on the Bible and swear it, even if I believed it. in the w- yeah. words of the Bible, is, I would <laughs> still do it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. No, that's, okay. that's, that's, that's true. But uh, but that doesn't excuse. So it was an irresponsible action. It was though. very irri- highly, not, highly a, irresponsible. not not a raticidal. It wasn't. I was, yeah, I don't want to kill the rat. And I think it was. It was again. It's that kind of thing of guys trying to up one upmanship and pushing each other's boundaries and seeing how far you can take something. Because I think you know, Clive had a very uh, you know nat- rats in the natural environment of falling off things, jumping off things. Let's you know we should kind of be a bit rough and ready with the rats. Yeah, that's so. I suppose I I'd kind true. of in a. 
I'm not trying to make excuses, <laughs> but I'm just trying to understand where I, what my head was doing when I did made this. No, I'm interested. Split second decision, yeah. and I think it, it's yeah. Part of that was kind of well, you know, this is what we're doing with the rats. We're kind of giving them you know hard love. And I'm not saying that my gesture was an act of love. It was an act of young foolish stupidity. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, that's probably that was in the mix, and uh, the, the rats got taken away as a result. They did get taken away from us, yeah, and we had a big house meeting, big arguments, and although it was in 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 theory, I mean, it was me and Clive did laugh too much at your jokes in that meeting, which I think was why we got the rat taken off. So. Yeah, yeah, the rats, yeah. and yes. that, that was probably an immaturity on my part of kind of not being able to step up to, to accept full responsibility for it and instead making light of the situation in order to try and make myself and everyone else feel like oh it's, it's fine it doesn't matter ignore it but in fact you know that wasn't a very mature way of dealing with the situation no no but we weren't mature i mean we were like only what 19 20. yeah <laughs> sounds older than it should people be, in the it? olden days used to have you know children by then and be fully Functioning members of society. That's true. That's true. But you know, we're, we're an inf- inf- infantilized <laughs> race, nation. That's right. Try and, make, try, try and make it kind of broad concept. Yeah, society is to blame. Society is to blame. Yeah, no, I am to blame. Okay, so the last in this kind of, I guess this is like the university is. Well, no, not even Wonder quite. Years. This is like the controversial issues years because <laughs> the third thing that I want to talk because I want to get into some stuff that's more general about your opinions about things uh-huh. but before we move on to that you ran some arts events called the Fresh Festival yeah uh, throughout South East yeah yeah yeah, right, yeah right, and my band the middle class bastards are our, our kind of concept played a few of them yeah and when we were at one in reading at would it have been south, south, street. Hill, south street in reading um a very gifted i think in in some ways I, I, from what i'd seen of his work i've liked it all the time um live artist ah yes did an art piece where he was in a freezer in a basement and you the audience came to that freezer you opened the freezer and he just stayed incredibly still and didn't move i guess the implication is he's frozen i don't know or it doesn't really matter because the engagement of it was it's challenging for the audience to try and kind of psych out the performer like he's there frozen and every time you open the door he just looks at you the same way and that was the that was the piece am I remembering the piece correctly yeah pretty much I think the idea was that you kind of open the door and because you're not expecting it to be someone sat there yes that was true it kind of it sort of jolts your normal it's like I suppose it's similar you can equate it to when like an escalator is broken and you kind of walk and as soon as you step onto the escalator you kind of almost trip over because you're not expecting it to not be moving yeah and so yeah the idea is that when you kind of open a fridge you kind of the muscle memory of that puts you into a certain routine you rhythm that he immediately disrupts. And so it's just kind of about showing that that is also a kind of habitual action, perhaps. I mean, this is just me kind of... Yeah, I mean, and that's... For an interpretation, but it might that, not be... That's a good interpretation of what he was doing. But, I mean, that's that's basically the kind... Of, that's the piece. That was the, yeah. the extent of the piece. Yeah. And... So in layman's terms, he sat in the fridge, opened the door. Woo! There's someone in the fridge. That's right. And myself and another friend of ours Jed we 
who's been on the show, who we sort of we liked that piece. I think I think I might have liked it a bit more than Jed, to be fair. But we both liked it, and um, it became kind of exciting going and opening the opening the door and he's there trying to stay you know staying still and doing this action and he won't move you see whatever you do um and so i sort of engaged with this to the extent that and i i I don't know if i'm not proud of this or i am proud of this i don't think i feel either i don't think i feel proud or i don't just think it was a thing that i did i don't think it's on the level of throwing the rock (laughs) down the stairs but um I we squirt well first of all me and Jed, Jed squirted in with a water pistol that we found in your piece that was to do with junk and uh, we filled it up with water and we went went down and we squirted in with a water pistol which was very funny and I don't think he minded that but then afterwards I put some grass from the field on his head um, <laughs> I know it's really juvenile to be laughing but that's what I did and he didn't react and that was engaging for us as the audience members and but he complained to you because you were the organiser not complained but he brought the issue up to yeah. you and very reasonably and responsibly I think as the organiser you contacted me and you made me aware that, that a fellow artist was upset by it and his reason for being upset by it there are I think there's some merit to his side um he didn't consider me to be an audience member but a fellow artist that was one of the things so he he saw what i did as sabotage of his work rather than an ex because that's where me and him disagree like i think i was an audience member and if i react to a piece like that then that's the way that the audience like i think it would be really interesting to do his piece in a supermarket for example, I think that it, where it's interesting is when it takes people completely by surprise and you get whatever their reaction is. But I guess because I'm also an artist, he thought, oh, well, that's not for me to do and I'm yeah. overthinking it and I'm trying to mess up what he's trying to do. I don't know. I didn't really understand why he thought I was trying to mess him up. But I do understand why he would have been annoyed by what I did. And I think there was a good example he gave of... Uh, he heard someone say that would have been a good piece, but why was there all that grass on his head? Because what did that mean? And I, did, <laughs> I know it's not funny, but I, I, I can, I can, I can empathise with him in that respect. That would have really annoyed me if someone had put some grass on my thing and somebody had said that would have been a good piece, but for the grass. But I do think he could have brushed the grass off his head, um, but he chose not to, which is his choice as a performer. That's he's got his integrity, and that's fine. I, I don't disrespect his choices. Anyway. Yeah that's what happened and you reasonably got me to talk to him we had a debate about it I think he was satisfied that you dealt with the idea to its full extent I hope so anyway because I think you were very and you didn't you didn't um, play favourites or anything or you know you, you, I think you're friends with him anyway but yeah. you, you didn't um, you didn't let the friendship of either of the friends influence the way you dealt with it you dealt with it very res- res- responsibly and uh, professionally I thought but what did you think? <laughs> um, I suppose at the time I wasn't sure, which is why I thought, well, I'm not sure here because I can see both sides. So, I'll, that's, and knowing you both, I thought well, they can, you can probably have a, an interesting exchange about this, and that'd be interesting to see. So, but I think in reflection, on reflection, uh, well, I think he was probably when he says about you being a fellow artist. I suppose it's, I don't think he was necessarily worried about your reaction and response 
uh, on the basis that oh you're an artist therefore you're not an audience member therefore but well, I think I it's should more be like helping as him. an artist as, as, a, as an artist you should know better maybe it's that kind of oh that, that's or that even you know, as an audience member that's want to do that it's so annoying but that you're an artist as well then I should have solidarity well not even solidarity more like uh, you know an, an appreciation that if someone had put graphs on your stuff then you'd be a bit like oh, you put graphs on my stuff that's been annoying well I do appreciate that that's bad but where I think I feel like I can see what you're saying. Your, your I point was, is that your, I was your, actually, your genuine reaction was to kind of intervene, inter interact with the piece in this way, and therefore it's like you say, well, at that point he'd handed the piece over to the audience because he was presenting it to them. But it's more awkward than that. I thought I was helping, like because <laughs> you know when when an artist needs audience participation right, to engage with their piece. Yeah. Um, I always feel obliged to do it because I'm an artist. So if uh, I always go, oh fuck! If there's an audience participation right, is called right. for, I'm like, I know that if nobody else steps forward, so I'm going to like do it. Out. Yeah. And and so I mean, I was very engaged by speed, and I thought that I thought that the piece was partly about can you psych out the art, like like the joy for the audience was to yeah. see how far you could push him, and he didn't react. Yeah. So that's I why I pushed him that far, but yeah. I think I went too far. I think. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, well, I think you're probably right. But I, th I suppose what's what I'm thinking about now is whether yeah, it's I should have taken greater responsibility and care about how that piece was stewarded, perhaps, so that if so, I, you know, so then for seeing how an audience might respond to it, not uh, knowing when to kind of if there's a steward or something on the piece, knowing when they might kind of step, step in, in or how they might in you know, sort of yeah, engage stop that or ha yeah, help someone engage with it in the way that the artist is wanting it to. Because I can understand how <coughs> yeah, how if your your engagement with it then changes the experience for somebody else. So you know, the the example of the grass. Yeah. That's kind of that then it's then at his point was that that sort of then it sort of oversteps steps over into vandalism because yeah, it's like drawing I mean, a moustache on a painting and something. I can see that. Yeah. So I guess there's, so I can kind of see that point. However, I do, generally speaking, sympathise with your position, which is one of an artist presents something, it's up to the audience to respond. I suppose the, the issue is when that response interferes with other people's engagement with the piece. However, yeah. at the same time, I, I really love those sort of stories of when theatre audiences have kind of risen up in rebellion against a piece of work and demanded it to stop. Um, and that while that might ruin the, the performance for someone who actually was quite into the idea of whatever the artist was doing, it makes for a great anecdote, you know, Yeah. hundred years later. So, Well, the whole point of live is to be live and what yeah. happens, happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, in a way, that's one of the things I'm trying to capture in these conversations is it's a live, I mean, I edit them, but I, I play them long as conversations to try and capture that yeah. live thing that you can't, you can't know what, you don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. It's good. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I still, I still, I suppose now thinking, re rethinking the arguments and things, I don't not quite know where I, where I, still where I sit on it. I mean, I'm not sure I do either looking back at it. I mean, at the time I was much more, certain of my position I mean and a lot of things that he said to me did resonate with me and I did understand I mean because that was like the, the thing I found sad about it is I was trying to be a supportive artist but I obviously clearly failed yeah but it upset me that he would 
I felt like, okay, my actions didn't work out as I'd have intended them to, but my intentions were not negative. And so I felt like, why can't you see that my intentions are good sort of thing? But he yeah. doesn't really know me, so why should he? Yeah. And uh, anyway, who cares about intentions? I thought it's, pretty, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's probably similar to me and Clive pulling our trousers down yeah. and kind of walking down the road. And that we think our intentions are one thing, but actually how it looks from the outside is a completely different thing. And also the sort of that thing of trying to, I don't know, egg each other out, 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 out um, push the other person's boundaries and also testing the other person's boundaries. Are you are you up for doing this really extreme thing? And so, you know, you, the fact that it was you and Jed doing it, and if, it, if it was one of you by yourself, it might Yeah, we egged each other that. on, definitely. You know, you can and have a sort of sense of, well, using a water pistol, I'm going to do the grass. Well, you've done the grass, I'm going to do the... Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That was the other thing. I felt like, why well, was I the only one getting the blame? Mm. But I was the only one who was a fellow artist on the bill. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, yes, yeah, maybe it's a quick, it's something to reflect on as the kind of the organizer of the event, the event and thinking about you know how you think about controlling audiences responses or managing that in such a way that it well i'm glad that, that my action didn't have like at least it at least it helped you to grow as an event manager i guess or maybe but well, it's, 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 it's an interesting debate anyway because i think it is a really it's not something that there's a clear right or wrong on it and it's and it's and it's interesting because it also reflects the sort of different artistic positions or trainings that you come from. Have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. No, it was interesting. It was, I thought it was a shame though because I did like his work and uh, kind of one of the things I thought was significant about his work was the way that the audience could interact. Like there was one where you opened a door and you were on the wrong side of uh, a concert pianist, so you had the audience looking at you, looking at the pianist. Mm. And you just come in, and the pianist stops when he sees you, and in, in like shock. Yeah, that was um, a great piece. That was the first first festival, and yeah, that was really the first thing I saw. Festival it was great. Kind of more live art kind of direction. Yeah. Well, I loved that piece, and uh, but that but what was good about that was when was when people went over and sat down yeah. by the pianist and started playing the piano around the pianist and things like that, where the audience did get stuck in and mess it up. Yeah. But nobody left grass on the pianist's head. <laughs> I think that's the significant thing. Yeah. And I think that's what I learned from the event, that if a, a piece of art is kind of challenging you in that way, then you have to kind of go within its own boundaries and you shouldn't necessarily mess it up. Unless you really want to mess it up. Yeah. Unless you kind of, you know, unless you want to throw, throw chairs at, uh, you know, the Alfred Jerry Perro who plays because the, the king's saying shit and you're like, this is outrageous, I want to stop it. And that's, that's, yeah, that's I saw a bad kind of musical thing with Christopher Biggins in when I was 13 or something I went to the theatre with two friends to the new theatre in Cardiff and they had like this it was like a pantomime it was terrible I hated it um, but it had this bit where they were throwing wet sponges at each other and me and the two people I went with were like leaning over the front of the stage and grabbing the wet sponges and throwing them at the actors so it became an actual fight <laughs> and they were like getting angry with us and throwing them back and that was the only good thing I, about that event but they yeah, were clearly yeah. annoyed that we'd hijacked their thing. I mean, I think that's the thing, you know. Maybe that was rubbish for the rest of the audience, though. Maybe that was just like, no, who are those three high yeah. school children? I think cause that's, that's, a, that's a deliberate Secondary process. Thing. So if they had kind of emailed you and said, dear young David Brickering, we were upset with the way that you interacted with our show, then you might row back and I say, know, I know, and I did it on purpose, because I wanted to mess with you, because I was hating what you were doing. Yeah. 
then you know that's a yeah, that's a different. I suppose it's a different. Well, it's a different thing. motivation, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I, it's, I was trying to engage with Aitan's piece. I wasn't trying to engage with theirs in the same way. Yeah, you're trying to stop theirs. I was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow. What's that? Well, we're halfway through. Oh, right. and there's loads more to do but so we now overrun slightly you can cut some stuff out I think we will we will overrun I don't know if I'll cut things out unless you ask me to um, so Palestine yep when we were at university in the first year I don't remember you being polit- particularly political that's probably fair yep and then in the second year, like in the holidays between the first and the second year, you sort of read a lot of like Chomsky and stuff about the Israel-Palestine conflict, and you came back the second year when we lived together. Yeah, kind of. I won't say radical. Ra- radicalized sounds wrong. Just politically aware and politically engaged, I guess. Yeah, well, the thing is, I suppose up to that point, because this is in. When was when must that have been? So it wasn't over the summer. It must have been just after, because it was nine eleven that kind of ah, triggered things. I of think, course, it was. yeah, I guess it would have been nine eleven happened. Yeah, uh, that summer, that's when nine yeah. eleven happened because I yeah. was in York when it happened. Yeah, I remember being at home. Holidays. I was watching kids, and the vi- the video was faulty in some way. And when I was pressing stop on the video, the images on the TV set were obviously the iconic smoking. Whoa. So cut between nine eleven and kids. That's quite a fucked up combination. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a messed up film. Isn't but it? it's one of those things where I didn't really realise. I guess the TV footage. It, it didn't it didn't click for a while that its significance. I suppose because it looked like maybe it was an action film or maybe it was yeah. I, know, I had that. I think. Or maybe it was a different country somewhere where these things don't matter. That's not so, that's sort of me being facetious, but you know that it's not going to be. That's how you would have felt at the time, but now... Right, but it's not like the United States being kind of attacked at a big symbolic and also actual... Yeah, way. Um, way, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, up until that point I wasn't... I was sort of interested, but not really um, engaged politically. And I remember because so the 9-11 happened and then the obviously we went into Afghanistan quite quickly and I suppose at that point I yeah still I was in I was sort of interested in speaking to the people in the square of the university who were protesting against the war in Afghanistan and you know I had a very simplistic uh, understanding of things and you know a sort of quite a large amount of ignorance in terms of the background of 9-11 and so, but I was curious about you know, their protest and speaking to them about, okay, so surely we've been attacked, we need to act in some kind of, through some sort of revenge or what have you. So what's the problem? And um, and then I can't remember who gave me the Chomsky article, but it was a quite a short one and it was about... Um, Nicaragua, maybe? Can't remember now. But anyway, it was about some... um, Haiti, maybe. Anyway, it was about a country that had been very, very badly done by by America. And it was... And this was basically used as a kind of... uh, a, A kind of manifestation of 
or microcosm for the way in which American imperialism has been working and it kind of referred to lots of other things. So this kind of triggered a whole host of uh, moral indignation and outrage on my part and a kind of hunger to quickly understand more, read more about it. Um, I think that's probably true of a lot of people at the same time. Um, yeah, I'd say. That kind of suddenly... Yeah, suddenly the kind of this sort of global politics which had been... I suppose it was the f- first time... I guess during the Cold War, maybe a kind of actual conflict had been moved, you know, to proxy wars in in Afghanistan and and elsewhere, and this was it coming sort of coming back to a kind of domestic. Um, I say domestic in the sort of sense of it being an attack back on the West and very directly, and and this having you know, we obviously grew up. Grew up during the end of the Cold War, but not we were not of an age where we were felt the the fear of nuclear. No, this was nuclear. our Cold War. I think nine yeah, eleven so kind of triggered our Cold War, which is the war in terror. War on terror. Yeah, which isn't the Cold War because it's what happens. Hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is a, so that was yeah in a sense that political awakening. So that kind of made me much more. Yeah, like I say, kind of, but and you know that kind of thing when you're young and you own the truth and there's there's there's, there's much less grey area. It's much more black and white and right and wrong and um, that's not to say that things aren't right and wrong now but that it's when you're first learning about these things you're reading something like Jomsky then it's it presents a very particular world view yeah and so um, yeah I was basically up in arms about it all and that kind of led to making these sort of political bits of theatre through the course we were doing and and yeah kind of a as a political Bents to the training edge comedy we were doing, and yeah, that was, and also yeah. So then the company that we formed out of university, uh, demonstrate was on the back of this very political piece called Harry is Always Right, which I think yeah. is was an excellent piece about really about war war propaganda, wasn't it? War propaganda and hypocrisy. It was all, wasn't it mostly made up. All of the dialogue came from the world leaders. Or it was all um, so it was taking lots of yeah sound bites from world leaders and lead, you know, sort of big public figures from the last I don't know, thousand years but mainly around the 20th century and I'm just sort of mashing them up a bit and making them sound a bit more jagged or um, obscene and then yeah. doing a similar thing <laughs> with uh, gestures and so all the characters were they using gloves and stuff didn't they like surgical, surgical gloves, gloves and yeah <laughs> But they could, but all of the gestures they were using were kind of taken from images and footage of political speeches. So they're kind of the big, you know, the kind of Nixon arms in the air with the, the sort of the two V signs and the and kind of a Tony Blair kind of palm forward making a point. Yeah, that was good. Um, and so just lots of these, but again taken. They were slicking their hair with gel. Yeah, so a very kind of over the top obscene. Everything's yelled at the audience. Very kind of, you know. It could probably have done with a bit more variation. In I don't know. Through the piece, I think it was good. And the the, the um, kind of punchline was they kind of declare war on themselves. Yeah, there's, some, basically there's a machine called Harry which gives them information and on the back of that information they make decisions. So basically the idea is that Harry detects a new threat and so they they try to buy, sell arms to the threat, or not the threat, the kind of the 
it's a, a country with great resources, so they kind of decide to kind of try and make friends with it. And then they hear they sell weapons to it, but then hear that this country is now buying weapons. So then they declare it's an enemy. So then they they hear that the country is declared them an enemy, and the whole thing kind of escalates because it, it transpires that it's it's the sort of a glitch in the system, and the computer's accidentally detected the own itself, and so it kind of escalates in this huge war. I thought it was a very, out of control and they end up bombing themselves to death. It's a very telling, I think it's a very accurate metaphor. I thought it worked well. It was a very visceral piece of theatre. It had some great music. And, did have some uh, good music, yeah. It was really moved around and did uh, some Matt, Matt did the good stuff. sound design for that. Yeah. No, it was great. Uh, it was, yeah, we kind of wrote, wrote it and devised it together and I directed it. And it was, yeah. Was no, that very, was good. Very pleased with it at the time. And yeah. I mean, and is your kind of... I mean, do you think your politics have changed? Um, I don't know. I suppose I'm much more... I suppose it's interesting. Harry's, Harry's always right, painted these political figures as as complete tyrants. Yeah, grotesques. As well. right, yeah, and so... And so it was about a very particular kind of... I guess the... In essence, perhaps there's something tyrannical at foot, or um, a kind of lowest common denominator in the terms of the greed of or uh, venom that humans are capable of, was being portrayed rather than individuals. And I suppose I'm much more uh, not sympathetic, but empathetic, empathetic with the positions that world leaders are in. And while they, I suppose, that, yeah, you just sort of, I think this is probably. Tr- true of most people as they get older you sort of become more and more aware of the compromises people are forced to make mm. or that you know that they maybe they make decision x which on the face of it feels sounds looks smells feels like a terrible decision but it's much much better than option y which is the other choice they had do you know what I mean that you kind of yeah that unless i suppose it would i suppose it's just a, yeah a, an empathy not not saying that they're making people are making the right decisions but that there is just our systems, you know, that Obama is, you know, I'm sure he had lots of well-meaning ideas when he entered office, but there's a whole bureaucracy of, you know, American politics and public opinion and everything else that he has to kind of battle with. And and so then, the you know, you sort of, you can be very angry that he hasn't closed Guantanamo, but then at the same time, I'm sure it's not for want of trying and there's probably all sorts of, things that we don't know about that are going on I'm not I suppose I'm not I don't want to kind of be an apologist but at the same time uh, I don't know how useful it is to just to kind of pigeonhole things as right and wrong and you're aware that it's hard for individuals to make any difference I guess is that what you're saying to a certain extent I suppose so but also kind of you know just that individuals are individuals as people People. that kind of in situations that they're having to deal with and you're kind of you know, now I'm married and I'm having going to have a baby, and so you sort of, as you get older, you sort of realise that the world of adulthood is. You haven't suddenly passed a, an exam. That means that you are now no, you never capable do. of responsibility and yeah. hard, you know, difficult decisions. But that just those those things are. I don't almost like the world of adulthood has expanded to include you. Yeah. You know, and suddenly you find that oh crikey, I've got to fend. For, you know, got to give life to this child that's my responsibility now right that's a big one and oh, there's a job here and I've got these responsibilities with that and I've got to 
you know, these things aren't, you know, no one's testing whether you're actually ready for them, although <laughs> maybe in a roundabout way they are a little bit, but not really. And so you just sort of just try and do your best. I yeah, think and that's how people are, yeah. No, I agree. I've got this, this, this thing I keep saying to myself and to others at the moment, I guess, is everybody's trying to get through life in whatever way they can, you know, and so I don't really try and... I don't blame people for... Like, I, I sort of look, why are they like that? Why are they feeling like that? Why am I like this? What's wrong? What, you know, what mistakes do I make? Yeah. You know, but... You know, would you say that the problem is the systems that we're all in? Then? Yeah, I think that's it. I think they're kind of. I suppose when you maybe when you're so yeah, you used to think okay, obviously George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld, these are the villains. These are the kind of you know. And then I saw George Bush is probably a lovely guy. Loves his family. He's probably very charismatic. Be a good guy him. to drink with. Probably a great guy to that drink was, with. Well, he doesn't drink. It was a Does he not anymore? He's a, uh, it was an alcoholic, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He took loads of drugs and... He did. Wild, wild child. But, you know, so... But they they make terrible decisions and terrible things happen as a result of... You know, partly, I suppose, their worldview, which you should challenge people on, but also, yeah, the wider... Circumstance. So, so, so credit crunch is a good example. Uh, people are very quick to blame the credit crunch and the bankers, but it's the and the bankers absolutely one of the one of the one, you know, a finger should be pointing at them. But also, we they were we were in a situation then when and still are where we as the normal people are living in loads of debt and expending beyond our means, and you know, and so and the governments equally. Spending beyond their means, borrowing more than they can expect to pay, and so it's not just the bankers, but the whole society that's living on borrowed money, and and you know, that whole thing perpetuates itself. And so to isolate it and say, "Well, it's just greedy bankers who are kind of hungrily, kind of chasing the next big bonus," is to is to simplify it and kind of pass the buck. And actually, you know, everyone and you know, advertisers a kind of. Uh, advertising products that we can't afford and, and people are making these products and we need to keep buying these things to keep the economy going and and we need growth because the government's borrowing based on the projection of growth that we can't sustain and you know the whole thing so it's, it's I suppose what I'm saying is as you get older you kind of begin uh, as you get older as, you know, as if I've kind of reached some grand old yeah. wise age <laughs> but, but what I mean is I suppose as I've got older I've kind of become more aware of that it's you can't it's, you can't just blame a set of people it's it's actually much more broad than that yeah that was that was a surprise um well yeah i think you're right and people who are simplistically say oh the bankers are, aren't people or whatever are, are silly i mean i think that you can definitely say in terms of the banking that there's a lot of money there that isn't being used for public use um, and that hasn't been used for public good, and so I think that's where people are really angry with the bankers is the fact that they're still getting bonuses, they're still getting high salaries. I mean, I think the Tories should be just as annoying because on their uh, annoyed rather because mm. on their terms, I mean, the bankers have not done well at their job, and you're not supposed to reward people. Well, I think that's, that's what they're saying under the Tories' yeah. terms. Um, and everybody should be annoyed if you know whether they're Tories or not because yeah. they're still getting loads of money and they've 
their actions has been a big part of why we're in this mess. And you're, I think you're right, um, generally speaking. I think the public... Well, I think we're we're living in an unsustainable world. We we really need to, you know, peak oil is what fifty years. Even though sometimes you meet people who don't 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 agree with that. Um, but it's like that bubble thing, isn't it? I suppose it's it feels like, and this might, I suppose that almost the, for me and possibly for yourself as well, the kind of the the doom and gloom prospect is is more delicious in some respects than the kind of. Um, uh, an alternative which says that technology will save us and we'll be okay and we'll just kind of we'll carry on be able to sustain a trajectory of growth but the kind of the, the I don't know the one that feels the most real and I'm, like, what I'm saying is that this maybe is because it feels most real because it's the one I'm sort of secretly drawn to but is that we've you know the balloon's getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and either we're going to burst it or we have to kind of very slowly let the air out let it. the air out a little bit and so that's the sort of you know we can't keep growing I don't it's, think that I mean, they're necessarily exclusive of each other, though it's possibly that it is possible that technology will save us and will live with less means. Like, yeah. it is possible to find, to pick and choose, to, yeah. to have a look at what we've got, to do a kind of audit. Dave, you're quite right. Balance. Sort of balance, isn't it? But we, but we, you know, it's hard to see how we can get to a point where we can do that kind of an audit. That's the I think it's, yeah, it's interesting, the kind of the, what the, yeah, the, the, the world summit at the moment about climate change. And we can't come to an agreement about that, and that seems. I don't know. Just there's lots of things that I don't know. See, uh, I keep starting sloppy sentences. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking of this today about the amount of documentation that exists about the state of the world. So if we are in this situation where the the balloon's got to bursting point, and if it does burst, then there's going to be so much archival material for generations in the future who survive whatever the fallout of that is will be able to have quite a, a detailed picture of where we were as a as a human race at the point of yeah you know catastrophe yeah yeah if it comes right. to that I mean, it's sort of acute and thinking about on think on sunday though this is probably old news by the time this comes out but yeah um they've got this channel four program so last night I was staying in a hotel, so I watched TV, which I don't normally do. But as a trader for a, a Channel 4 program, which was the uh, Japanese tsunami and but, but as caught by people who were there. So people with you know, tourists with cameras, camcorders, or people with iPhones or other camera phones kind of capturing it. And they've made this montage. I haven't seen it yet, So, but for this, yeah, the... There's so much out there. Well, there's citizen, everyone's captures. a citizen reporter as well, they always talk about it, don't they? Everybody yeah. who's got a camera is a citizen journalist now, and so this kind of changes what journalism is and right, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. But the thing is about all of that information, though, is the weird thing is it's all digital. And as I found out recently to my cost, you know, if your terabyte drive it can be as big as you like, but if it goes faulty, then you can lose all the information. Yeah. And if we lose the internet, then we won't have these snapshots because it's all digital, and we don't Hopefully have. Hopefully, it's any. backed up somewhere. Yeah, well, <laughs> what I mean, it's not, but it's not. They've not been painted out. They've not been printed out. Like, you need a hard copy because hard copies are the only things that remain if you lose the internet. That's the weird thing. Like when we're talking about now, everything being on the cloud, data being stored, stored. Like this seems very wrong to me, but it's, it's, it's going to be the way forwards.
then and I don't really understand like I'm really worried about my data being stored in the cloud but then if it wasn't if it was stored in the cloud not in my terabyte drive yeah I wouldn't have lost the information yeah. <laughs> so, who knows? so it's interesting we're talking about um Wow. We're talking about Palestine, but we didn't really cover Palestine. We didn't cover Palestine. What is your opinion on Palestine, really? It's a bit of a messy situation. I, I was quite kind of um, taken by the, the sort of the one state solution, but I think that's probably a lot further down the road, and a two state solution is more realistic in the shorter term. So, what would the one state solution be? Basically, kind of a. Israel stroke Palestine, one state where Jews and Arabs live alongside each other in harmony. <laughs> yeah, I can see why that's not that achievable. But it sort I, of, you know, it feels like that would be because the, the kind of geographically, it's all a bit funny, isn't it? So it's kind of Palestine's broken up around. I've Israel. always thought the two-state solution seems the most sort of everybody needs a home, everyone needs to feel secure before they can think about having a partner. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, if if you feel that you haven't got a control of your environment. Yeah. And so I think if you have two separate states, you yeah, probably yeah. can give people that. But I can't see any kind of... I haven't heard any convincing... Actually, no, I have. I was going to say, I haven't heard any convincing arguments for... Um, that are kind of pro-Israeli in terms of the way in which the political situation is unfolding currently. But the convincing... Or not convincing argument, but the... The interesting one was about the the isolation felt by Israel in terms of being surrounded by hostile neighbours and therefore they're going to be more inclined to put their spikes out and kind of dig their heels in and gain ground and all the rest of it to just to sort of to stand still in a sense. But they're also supplied with huge money and arms from our biggest or the world's biggest economy economic country and and you know send fighter jets into bomb shanty towns and bulldoze settlements and or not settlements bulldoze where people live and build settlements and doesn't doesn't seem like a any way to behave and i think it's interesting the the arab spring and what that might engender in terms of the dictators of countries that used to have a kind of uh, a sympathetic relationship with Israel yeah, uh, and uh, will now be led by countries or leaders hostile potentially to Israel well that's why Israel's getting scared I mean Israel's getting scared so it's interesting that deal recently where they released one um, Jewish Israeli soldier in exchange for a thousand yeah, something like that. Palestinian prisoners. That just seems, you know, obviously they're trying to make some political ground up. It would seem, but then at the same time they're continuing to build settlements and put up walls. And it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Yeah. Well, I always feel I'm, not, I'm I'm underinformed on these sorts of things to speak at length about it. Well, yeah. Well, I think you, you've spoken it quite quite at length. I mean, Palestine was kind of a way into a kind of area of your yeah of your thinking i had a few different kind of highlight kind of things that you like that i was going to talk to you about like art stuff but i think i'm gonna i wanted to ask you about you were talking to me about the sense of an ending and that seems like a the 
a good kind of topic for the kind of towards the end of the podcast. Like you, mm. is it something you've been reading recently? Yeah, I just read it. I was it won the Booker Prize, so it was all that kind of hype about it, and then is that what it's, it's called? Sense of an ending. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it's Julian Barnes' book. I mean, it's. I kind of thought, well, it'd be interesting to read that because presumably, with it being a Booker Prize winner, a lot of other people will read it, and I can talk to them about it. And, and this is the real, the deal closer for me, the clincher was that it's 150 pages long. I'm quite a slow reader, so that was a real... I could read that in a, a night, in a morning. You're a slow reader, but when you read a book and you like it, you're a big advocate for the book. Like you, That's true. Books have definitely touched you, I would say. Like Ridley Walker was on my list and all sorts of things. To yeah, that's about. a brilliant book. I would definitely re- recommend Ridley Walker. I don't know if I'd very strongly recommend Sense of an Ending. It's 150, 150 pages. It's an easy read. It's got some nice ideas and themes and I enjoyed reading it and what I particularly liked about it was that it's a guy, an older guy looking back on his uh, this particular group of friends and and one one friendship in particular and try and a set of um, things scenarios unfold in the present day which make him re look over these events of the past so this is the what happens and you basically follow these historical events as he recalls them but then when you get as the kind of contemporary events unfold it makes you want to go back and reread the the earlier anecdotes that he's told you so you're then starting to treat the book like a kind of model of his mind in some way okay. so physically kind of flicking back to kind of let's read that again let me just see how that person said that thing in, in that moment that because it's quite sure that's easier to do exactly it, yeah. so it's, yeah but then it's also over, over quite quickly that's an interesting idea so that's so that's what I liked about it and that's what I thought was kind of quite clever um, it, I suppose because it is quite short it does feel a little contrived because you have to get to a certain place quite quickly you know so things quite unfold quite quickly towards the end for example for instance but but you know it keeps your hooks very it's good easy quick reading and it has this for what I found a very enjoyable uh, where the book but yeah like I say the book becomes a almost like a model of his mind that you're you're, you're kind of um, treating in the way that he's treating his own mind and it's all about memory anyway so it's yeah well, it sounds good I mean it's a, it's a nice short one to read so I, I'd recommend it as a something I would I'd I wouldn't put it at the top of the list straight away. What would you put at the top of people's lists? I'd put Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban, which is incredible. But then equally, I have very good friends, and my wife, in, in fact, have read it and been a bit unmoved by it. But... It's a bit, I get upset when people don't like the books. I know you mean something. Really like. what's, what's wrong with them? But I mean, and, and I know that it's just a taste thing. But and also, it's, sometimes it's you read something at a particular time in your life where suddenly whatever the other things you're thinking about it really resonates. were pulled into focus or sorted out in yeah. some way. So I had this experience when I was reading Russell Hoban's book and about three, two-thirds of the way through, I kind of, it was getting a bit m- into magic and things and I thought, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. I'm losing my way a bit here. Uh, but then that 
um, afternoon, I was walking through Bracknell and bumped into a very smartly dressed young man with a badge saying, Brother Buchanan, and he asked me what I thought about God. And I thought, okay, well, I'm, uh, all right, here we go. All right, I'll tell you what I think. And kind of just reeled off this uh, a sort of succinct worldview that as I was saying it, I thought, quite this is exactly how the book's describing the world or the the book which is set sometime in the future after a big uh, apocalypse, probably a nuclear apocalypse has taken place and something, some um, ideas have, have, have carried through like TV, but people understand TV as pictures in the air, for example, and lots of other things like that. So there's they're trying to understand how our life is now on with these kind of fragments of information and so they've built a picture of what our life is now and an explanation and some of it's really you know just that's yeah that's that's right and some of it is way off and you know if, if you can see how they've gone off track but they've really gone off track and then they have this mechanism of puppet shows that travel around and people do these puppet shows which retell the story of creation and things and then they have um someone who interprets this in each in each little community and that person basically speaks in in um a stream of consciousness about what they've seen and how and then that gets interpreted and that's taken away as it's sort of like the mechanism of art if you like in this world and so yeah so i was kind of reading this thing off just again stream of consciousness to this brother Buchanan chap and I thought okay that's that's kind of how they're kind of interpreting stuff in the book and the book's all about what I what I was talking about which is this we're trying to kind of make meaning of our world and and what's really nice about the book is you kind of know what the world is because yeah. you live in it and they're trying to understand how it is with these fragments and so then you can you can kind of quite clearly see how we as human beings really try and make everything fit together and understand it as a, a one world system yeah and or narrative and uh, but it's really playful the way in which you see things that are kind of like i say right and wrong in their explanation and so then you can apply that to your obviously understanding of the world and yeah. think, well some of this is going to be right some of it's going to be wrong um but yeah so just the whole mechanism of how and the books were written in this pidgin english like a kind of a, several generations no written down stuff that's the thing that puts me off it because I, I it's like subtitle films i know I, if i get into it i'll enjoy it yeah but I, it's a lot of work to read the yeah funny well i sort of, I, of yeah the, i don't find it, i speaking. find the things like quite easy because and this is probably because i'm a slow reader and the reason i'm a slow reader reader is because i tend to almost read it out loud in my head as i read through something which means that if it's written in a funny dialect that doesn't it's not too much of a problem because it's just I can read it at that pace you see to me I know what you mean whereas I think I was talking to my friend Simon he was taking, talking about a similar thing I can't remember, can't remember what it was but he really struggled with it or reading plays he found he really struggled reading plays because yeah, I've heard that. he's kind of I guess trying to rush ahead in the way you would sort of semi-skim a book yeah. but you sort of can't do that with dialogue because it's and it's in different format as well so yeah. it's everything the space is in different places than your eyes are used yeah. to so it's harder to skim it yeah so I kind of my, my inability to read fast is almost is an advantage for those things the other big recommendation I'd make is The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen which is brilliant 
a kind of kitchen sink epic. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard good things about Jonathan Franzen. I haven't read him either. Yeah, and that's. I don't usually read books that thick, but uh, but it was a real page turner. Well, you don't read many books, do you? I mean, do you a year like? Uh, I haven't read. I've read one in two years or something stupid. So I mean. Well, right. You know, I, 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 I've sort of tried to start reading a fair bit more. Um, I think you know, so at the moment I usually have a, a book on the go. I'm reading a lot of plays at the moment, which I've just sort of got into recently and been enjoying. So yeah, I'm getting through those. It's about time you plays. got into plays. Yeah, no, it's funny, isn't it? So, and I've really got into it since joining the Arts Council, having to have suddenly have a much broader return to having a much broader perspective on theatre from having previously been focused in a very particular area of experimental work. That. Yeah, suddenly you know, find myself in a theatre watching a play and going, "Oh yeah, it's funny." I remember, yeah. this is great. This is a really nice. This is brilliant. I love it. No, I, f- I find that exp- like you, you, with you, with your kind of way that you consume art in your life, you sort of go through phases, don't you? Like, and yeah. you may, like say, the last couple of years, I've just been obsessed with podcasts and radio and audio yeah. stuff. I mean, there's been other things I've been interested in too, but uh, you know, I had a. But you know, there was a couple of years I watched a lot of TV. There was a couple yeah. of years reading comics all the time, like uh, graphic novels and stuff like that. Mm. And I don't know, it's funny. Then you could, then like the other day, I watched Broken Glass, the play on the West End, mm. and I was like, "Theatre, <laughs> that's what I remember. This, this is yeah. great. I love this. <laughs> where, where has this been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's too yeah. many options now, so you have to kind of I don't know because." You need to specialise for a bit. You need to kind yeah, yeah. of focus on that way of thinking for a bit, and then you sort of change. But on. you sort of tune into it, don't you? Yeah. And then you can you kind of develop a bit of a hunger for something because you like. So I really enjoy going. To, I was talking about on the last podcast actually going to the Royal Courts and can really enjoying a couple of shows there, and and now I kind of can't wait to go back in. And the National Theatre Live stuff that's been really good. You know, the live broadcasts into cinemas. We saw the collaborators the other day. Which is a play about Stalin and a playwright of the time whose name I can't remember. And they, Stalin commissions him to write this piece about his childhood, Stalin's childhood, and they end up switching roles. And Stalin takes over the writing of the play, handing over some of the official running to the country to the playwright. Um, and it's very good. It's got a real 1984 quality. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's good. It's very, and it's also very funny. And Simon Russell Beale, who plays Stalin, is oh, he's a good actor. It's amazing in it. It's so funny. Every time he comes on stage, it's just so much fun. Yeah, I want to go to the theatre more, but it's very expensive. It seems to me to be pricing itself out of the market. Yeah, well, you can get some good deals. So, like, yeah. the, on the you day walk up tickets for the national, I think it's ten pounds or five pounds, even some like standing tickets. And five pounds, but a bit more my what I like to pay. Yeah, but, yeah. and ten pounds Monday tickets for World Court. I haven't taken advantage of these. Deals no, yet, I should. I should. It's just we got to be organised to get that stuff. That's the, that's true. Yeah, that's the challenge. Well, I think we kind of covered plugging in the last uh, little bit of conversation. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything that you would like to add before we close, before we end? No, what else did you have on your list? You uh, have a really long list. I did have a long list. I wanted to talk to, uh, 
That's what people do when they know I've got a long list. Everyone wants to cover everything on the list. I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. Once I, I kind of wanted to talk about Lib Dems, but I decided there was no point because we kind of covered enough in the politics frame of things. And, you know, there's, I've had too many conversations about the Liberal Democrats in some ways. I'm an apologist at the moment for them. Yeah. That's, I think, basically, I can't see what else they could... I can't see any other situation, any other scenario than that, 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 than that which they are in. Yeah, I understand they're human beings. They make the decisions that they make, and they're within the system and stuff. But I do think that they could refuse to be in the coalition if the coalition are going to dismantle their welfare state. But I, I you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, they could do that. But I suppose it's. I think the challenge is if you believe in a proportional voting system, then you are. It's it's increasingly likely that there will be coalitions, and so if you therefore aren't prepared to make a coalition work that discredits your position on a proportional voting system. True, but the whole point of having a coalition is that you can't have a government that's doing terrible things without the will of the people. They're, if they keep on propping up the Tory government, then that is happening. Well, I don't, I don't buy this idea that we haven't. It, what we have now is, not, is something that no one voted for, because actually I think what we have now is what most people voted for, which is... Lib Dems and yeah, but it's not what Tories people who voted for the Liberal Democrats voted for, which was the a government. The, the people who voted for the Liberal Democrats didn't vote for a Tory government. This government is essentially majority of its policies are Tory, and the few that aren't are where they agree. Well, I think if the Lib Dems had got in as a Lib Dem government, then it would have been a very different set of policies that would be seeing rolled out now yeah but I think in a coalition government you have to have compromises but you also have to have people with integrity pushing for true things well, I, suppose this is, this is, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes and I don't think it's all acquiescence and yes stories will do what you say I, th- I, I think there are more I hope so strident battles between people and that that probably arrive at a kind of compromised position, but probably means that both sides present a kind of more extreme version to start with in order to try and bring things around well, to that I, side. I hope, I hope so. I'd get rid of spin for a start. I'd like to know the facts of the matter. I, I don't like the idea that there's stuff going on behind closed doors we don't know about it. There's some No, that doesn't seem very democratic to me. If it's not being argued you know, properly out there in the open, that we know that this person said it was a bad idea this person said it was a good idea that sort of thing should be open but I mean you know I fundamentally disagree with the way that the society is structured and the political system that governs it so it's very hard for me to be objective about yeah. it but I try to be pragmatic <laughs> and I try to be sensible and I try to be like well what can we achieve and what's fair and who are human beings and I appreciate that they're all human beings <sighs> but I don't think I don't think the Liberal Democrats are helping the problems that we have. I certainly don't think the Tory party are. I don't think the Labour Party would have done either. I suppose it depends what you mean by the problems we have. I think economically Yeah. Um I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because it's only if you try a completely different scenario in exactly the same context that you find out which would work. But 
I don't, my impression is that pragmatically, sort of setting aside what we might think about um, morality, morality, economy, what what how things should be, whether we should let the air out of the balloon solely or whatever. Um, that it seems that our strategy is putting us in a stronger position than that of our counterparts in Europe, for example, or people in other parts of the world mm. who are put, pursuing different policies where well, we'll things see. are going much more to the wall much quickly. We'll see. I mean, the... Much more to the wall, can you say that? I don't know. Could, it's balls to the wall, isn't it, normally? Well, I'm thinking about when you go to the wall, but if you can go to the wall more, but I don't know, going to the wall is... But, anyway. I mean, there's a lot of commentators that say that we made a lot of mistakes since this government, that the reason that we are doing less badly than other people is because of the bailout. The bailout was done by the previous government. The decisions of the current government have caused more problems and more debt uh, for the individuals and the, of the country, and this will have an impact on the, con on the economy. Well, the the, the yeah. public are not buying more. The, we've not increased our spending. We're not spending our way out of the problem. We can't no. because we haven't got any jobs and we haven't got any money and no, we haven't got any essential services. So it's this is ridiculous. Um, I think it's not entirely true that we haven't got any essential services. No, that's, services that's an exaggeration. That's, hyper, that's, that's absolutely hyperbole. But there are lots of essential services, in my opinion, essential services that have gone. I mean, and I agree that the kind of the, the growing unemployment seems that looks like it, it's a huge problem, kind of just you know, waiting to explode potentially. And the as far as I can tell, the private sector isn't stepping into the fill the gap that the left by the public sector. Well, I don't even predictably. See, I don't see this this, this 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 separation between public and private. I do not understand why people have to jeer at each other across this divide. The public service I agree they shouldn't, yeah. is everybody's service, including the people who work in the public sector. Yeah. Um, we all pay for my job. It's not just the private sector. Everyone always goes, I pay for your job. No, I pay for my job and you pay for my job. We all pay for my job because in this case, we are actually all in it together. Yeah. I don't pay for your job though. That's true. You know, I don't pay for your job in the private sector, but my job in the public sector helps your life in the private sector. So, you yeah. know... It, yeah, I agree. It, it, yeah, they're two, it's important to have both and it's... Well, I don't know, from my point of view, I don't know if it's important to have both. I, I certainly, the, the, you know, I'm not too keen on a lot of the things the private sector does. Um, not the people in it, the people are just people. But the uh, things that it does, yeah, I'm not so keen on. But uh, but, but the, it's, not, it's, a, it's also a myth that we're separate, like, I, economically. Like, there are loads of private sector companies, because we keep privatising things, that completely rely on the public sector. Yeah, no, that's and, true. and every time we cut, we cut funded private things, jobs. So lots of the, well, in my line of work, arts organisations that make, they work on a mixed economy of earned income and grant income, and there you go. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I agree. And I agree that those two things are should work need to work together, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, my instinct is that we will. I mean, it's hard to say. My instinct, I don't know, the commentators I read rather than the commentators that somebody that reads the Daily Mail reads. 
uh, are going to be different. I don't yeah. just I don't just read the Guardian, but I do occasionally read the Guardian. Um, you know, and the other things I read are like articles from the Independent or articles from uh, the New Statesman or articles from uh, you know generally left wing. Mm. I mean, occasionally read things from the Ecologist, but rarely or the New New Yorker, which are well, that's New Yorker's left wing as well, isn't it? I guess Economist isn't, but you know. I'm not balanced, but I reckon. I reckon that if you dismantle the welfare state to the extent that they would like to, this government, and we are only starting to see the effect of the changes that they're putting in place. And you look at the education no, changes; the education system is going to be radically altered. That's you know, if you dismantle stuff, it's, it takes a long time to put it back together, if if people choose to put it back together in the future. And so I think we should do it responsibly and slowly. And I don't, I feel that this government's a little bit kind of gung-ho. They are kind of like, yeah, let's just fiddle around and mess everything up. And if a proper audit was taken, then I would take the money from the people who get paid very high salaries in the public service. Sure. But they are not the majority of people in the public service, and they, their salaries are used to s smack the public services all the time. So everyone would benefit from getting rid of those bloody big salaries, just like the, the BBC gets slammed for their big salaries, and they're a publicly funded or organisation, and they don't approve of that. Anything that's publicly funded shouldn't have big salaries. But that's not, that's not what they're talking about when they make cuts. They 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 cut real, you know, not real people because yeah. everybody's a real person. But they cut poorer people's jobs. They cut poorer people's opportunities, and that's what's happening. So yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I decided against talking about the Lib Dems, but I have appear to have talked about them anyway. And yeah, I mean, I only had a few other things that I, I don't think we'll talk about now because I think we've talked about plenty, and I'm 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 quite pleased with the sides of you it's shown. I mean, only to say that since the last time we had a conversation, you've got married. Yeah, last time I spoke to you, it was about two weeks or so before the wedding, wasn't it? it was That's really... right. And that was yeah. kind of looming large in your life. And uh, yeah, we you did you had you had a great wedding. Family right? anxieties were. I enjoyed it at the forefront of our minds at that point. But then, yeah, it was all wonderful. The wedding and the wedding was excellent. It was great, wasn't it? It was a great day, and uh, your speech was probably the best wedding speech I've ever heard. Don't want to offend anybody whose wedding speeches I've heard, but it was just an amazing piece of uh, piece oh. of performance and writing, and be good because it was true. Like it made me laugh, made me cry. It was great. And uh, <laughs> I was fortunately woken up at five in the morning that morning by I was sleeping next door to a, a young baby. My cousin's youngest well my cousin's only child and uh, yes the, no wait was it yeah anyway they woke up at five in the morning and that woke me up which gave me a good amount of time to be able to hone the speech down and get it get it get it done which was great because otherwise I would have not done that which would have been a shame you had written it already though I'd kind of not really <laughs> I really planned to write it already. And that was definitely on my list of things I was definitely going to do in advance. Well in advance, of course. It's very important thing to get right. Yeah. But uh, I'd, I think I'd kind of done a, written down who I needed to thank. And that's probably as far as I got. And also talk to people about it, like 
what's the normal thing? Who do I know? Yeah. So yeah, so we figured out who I had to thank, and that was the main thing. Because on my, I remember on my 18th birthday, I had a family party, and I'd sort of not thought about doing a speech, but then everyone said, oh, speech, speech, speech. And I did this terrible, I can't remember what, I just, it was just, I just remember the excruciating Improvised speeches can either be the best or the worst. Yeah, so this is definitely the worst. I had to kind of come back and do a, a sort of an apology and here's some thanks <laughs> to people who I just didn't say thank you to. Which, I suppose you don't know that a speech is to say thank you until you've done one which didn't say thank you to anybody and then you realise what a mistake that was because <laughs> people have told you that you really need to thank other people and remember these other things. So I did a second speech to make up for it. So I kind of, yeah. So you got married and that was a great day and I recorded a Getting Better Acquainted the day after with uh, Matt Waldock, who did Just Ceremony, which has already been yeah, uh, broadcast. It was one of my, it was a really great, fun conversation to have. Um, but the wedding in general was fantastic. But you've also discovered, well, I guess... You didn't know at the time. You weren't pregnant at the time. Well, she wasn't pregnant at the time, but you... Dave, how dare you? <laughs> uh, no, sure. Not that I would care, but I, I don't think she would have been. Um, no, we got, uh, since then, you've got pregnant. Yeah, so it's just it was after the honeymoon. So it's not quite a honeymoon baby, but it's very close. And, uh, yeah, so that's exciting. It is exciting. It's very exciting. Slightly daunting. And like I said, it's that thing of suddenly the world of things adults do stretches a bit more and suddenly you're in it quite deeply yeah so yeah and it's yeah, it's very very exciting very exciting i was at a um a children's show yesterday morning of a, an organization that we the arts council fund so we as if i am i work for it obviously um and lots of young 3 year old kids there it was quite nice he sort of, I thought oh they're quite a sweet thing aren't they quite cute <coughs> creatures oh yeah happy. three year olds are great three, three year olds are great I like the three year olds a lot yeah yeah harder, yeah. harder when they're one I think or less yeah. than one but they become three they do three they years. will become three they become 13 and then it gets messy but anyway that's to look forward to yeah well I think it is something to look forward to I think you're ready mate Mate, I think. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I think Sarah's just doing. That's my wife. Uh, she's doing really well. She's really looking forward to it. And yeah, it's been making me a better chef, actually, or cook. Um, that was okay before, but now I'm really trying to up the ante. Because Sarah, when she first got pregnant, took the um, was given. Well, I don't know. She was supposed to take folic acid, so she got these Pregnicare folic acid tablets, which come with all sorts of other vitamins and things in them and I'm always a bit uncomfortable about taking vitamin supplements because it feels like a substitute for a healthy meal and I'd rather have a healthy meal yeah you know now folic acid like you know it seems that's a pretty unanimous across the board everyone says take folic acid so fine but these big tablets just seem a bit overkill and they were sort of making Sarah feel a bit queasy because they were so big I think, and so it just felt like well, this is a bad situation. So, but Sarah was anxious, understandably, about getting the right, you know, nutrients and things into her body. And while you know, very helpfully pointed out that people have been giving birth to healthy babies for centuries before we had, you know, 
such an array of food that we have now. That didn't. Well, was, that was not the most comforting thing I could have said. And <laughs> so it's to kind of go a bit further and actually be helpful. I try to make some more adventurous food dishes with other, you know, which have all the folic acid in. Not folic acid. That, no, uh, you have to take that. But yeah, other, you know, sort of a bit of a bit of mackerel or. Well, mackerel is yeah, nice. That's got that's got your, uh, your what do you call it, oily fish, um, amino amino acids, something like amino acids. It might even be amino acids. <laughs> Just stuff that you need. So yeah, so it's been it's been good for making me cook better. Well, people worry about stuff when they when they have a baby coming along. That yeah. they haven't worried about before, I think, like balanced diets and yeah, you know, you might be quite kind of risk taking, and then <laughs> you yeah you you might be quite risk taking, and then a, you get pregnant or a baby comes along, and you reassess your risks. I think you don't Absolutely, necessarily yeah. stop doing them. You suddenly realise that there's, there's a lot more at stake than just yourself. Yeah. And you know that's one of the humbling things about it is that you realise that this will be the it feels like this is the first thing that will be that I I have kind of been involved with in a very direct way that will outlive me. Do you mean so that that sort of becomes bigger than my life? Yeah. Whereas up to that point, you know, it's all our lives. Well, getting married is. And, and the relationship is obviously it's not just you, but um, but that feels like well that's going to be in, you know, till death do us part. You know that's until I die. Yeah. But you know a kid is that's goes further. Yeah. So it's I don't know yeah. So I suppose you you you'll see you have your parents, but you kind of expect you might you hopefully will outlive them, and you go to school and that's all about you and university it's all about you and your job and your, your career and all these things all about you and where you live and what you're doing but then this is the first thing that you kind of projects beyond yeah you you have an influence on them but then they go out yeah into the world they're on their own eventually like your yeah. job is to prepare them for the next yeah. and when I die they'll still be here yeah hopefully well, fingers crossed fingers Hopefully. crossed touch wood yeah, both of us being superstitious there because it's the stakes are high now. Well, <laughs> that's a big stakes. No, we're banging, bang, but you bang the wood. That's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's weird, you know. I don't believe that anything about touch wood, but I always touch wood about something that's scary. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, congratulations. Um, you know, another one of my friends will have children, and that will be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, like it. Kids so far. Clive, Clive, my friend George. Clive's the only one from our university group of friends, isn't he? Well, no, there's lots of girls who we don't hang out with so much anymore, but from theatre studies, the right, old right. lot, Facebook tells me a lot of them. Hannah's pregnant. Is she? Yeah. Oh, Charlie is pregnant. A few <laughs> people are Charlie. pregnant. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone's doing it around now. It's yeah. weird how it goes in a season. With groups, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's funny because I think Sarah's a little bit older than me, so her friends, a lot of them, have already been through that. Although, actually, some of them have one friend, set of friends, they've just had a baby about three months ago, I think. So they're you know just ahead of us. So it's yeah, and it's really, so it's really nice when you kind of have friends who are going through something similar at the same same time. Yeah, and you can compare notes. 
that's I think one of the things that is is most comforting I think for the the mum to be is to be able to check in with someone that is this is this all right is this normal yeah do you find this thing yeah so because it's it's funny it kind of it goes right from I feel really queasy and weird is that okay and to right through to I feel totally normal is that okay <laughs> because you know you sort of expect there to be some kind of symptoms we're always asking is it okay is it okay I think whatever we're doing like it's kind of a cultural thing and when the stakes are higher you, you it's even more urgent isn't it yeah and yeah well it's interesting that you can go back to what we where we started about bravery and you know when you're younger you sort of don't ask that so much you don't ask is it okay is it all right yeah we didn't we didn't kind of get to the top of blaze street and take our trousers down and start parading down singing land of hope and glory asking is this all right we should have done yeah because i would have gone no it's not let's go inside but you know would be one less story and i wouldn't if i had a thought about the rat is this all right i would have quickly realized that it was absolutely not all right and put the rat back on the floor gone to the bathroom cleaned off the wee and moved on yeah i think i've always asked myself is this all right a lot but still done it anyway like i think i probably did ask myself is this all right when i put the grass on a uh, on the artist's head but yeah. uh then I did it anyway. Okay, yeah, so maybe you're right. Maybe actually... I don't know if people learn that much. I think you're right, maybe. Yeah, I suppose the the amount of time that you spend on that question, your capacity for doubt is is, is gross as you get older. Yeah, it grows. It grows. And then I think it sometimes affects you in a good way, though. Sometimes it means that you do are more sensible. You become a more reasonable human being. Yeah. But I suppose... The danger with becoming more reasonable is that you then stop. So interesting the we haven't been Sarah and I haven't shopped in one of any of the big supermarkets for about two years since uh, Reverend Billy, who's this fantastic uh, American activist, stroke performer with his choir, came to Liverpool and did a. A sort of uh, the stop shopping roadshow, and someone made the comment that you know when you're when you're young, you kind of feel like the truth is yours, you own the truth, and his performance, which is brilliant, uh, really kind of re- resurrected that feeling in you of, of owning the truth, you know, and which gave gave us the self righteous zeal to. To make to kind of go, you know, let's forget yeah. about the nuanced grey area of well, you know, everyone else shops there. We're not going to be able to make any difference, and actually, it's jobs for people and blah blah blah. Of just going, actually, no supermarkets. Let's, you know, we're in a position where we can make the decision to not go there, and let's let's do that. So, I think the problem with becoming of of your developing capacity for doubt and uh, becoming more reasonable is that you also, I suppose like I was saying earlier, you kind of begin to empathise with other people and realise that other people are also reasonable and, you know. Yeah. And then you sort of start forgiving the world or you start, you, you, or you're less likely to, I guess, stick your elbow, elbows out and um, push for things to be different or, I don't know. I'm trying to find a balance where I forgive the world but at the same time push my elbows out more. 
like yeah. to just to, to have no kind of problem with any individual but to try and push my elbows out into the state more I say that I do absolutely no different. It's just a, it's like it's just like, in my head. That's what yeah. I want. That's what I want to do. With the, the I went on a couple of UK Uncut marches UK Uncut, um, and demos. Uh, what were they called? They were called occupations. In fact, hmm. uh, I went on a couple of them, but that was last year. Uh, the big well this year, but last year it would be. But it was only a couple. Like uh, the last was in March. I went to one Christmas time last the year before. I went to one, um, and then I went to one in March. But I haven't been to the Occupy. Mo- I want to go to the Occupy movement. I want to do lots of things. Yeah. But it's. I mean, I hopefully maybe one day I'll get active. I mean, if I can see a way of actually being active in a way that works. I mean, that's the problem I have. It's not so much doubt I have a problem with like I'm I think em, no empathy is a good thing but yeah but being unsure how to of any answers having no answers yeah I don't know if that's a good thing so yeah. that's the problem I look at any of these things I look at the Occupy movement I look at the UK Uncut I like them I go on them I, I talk them up but I always feel like I'm slightly observing them mm. I always feel like yeah I can get active in that and I believe in this but I don't think it's going to work Mm. You know, I don't know. I'm always. I don't. I, I never want people to think that that I do. You know, I'm always putting that in front of my sentences. Oh, I know it will never work, but we should do this because I don't want people to think I'm naive. But I quite like to be naive. I think. It yeah, nice. being, yeah. It's na- naivety is a, is a can be a real strength and also a huge weakness. But yeah. But, and you, it's interesting when you when you see people who kind of retain their sense of uh, indignation, and that can be quite irritating, but also quite powerful. Yeah, I like it sometimes mm. when they're not too annoying. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well. I think we'll round it up there. We've got a, a lot of footage. Jesus. We've run long. How long is that? It's an hour and 36 minutes. Very so, good. would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Goodbye and good night. Yeah, goodbye and good night, because it's very late at night. Good night. Thanks, Dave. So, as I said, so many things have changed, but in some ways things have not changed. I think it was a very interesting conversation in terms of that. Something that's happening now, though, not in the past, is that Getting Better Acquainted is going to be having another season on Resonance 104.4 FM. That season's going to start on Friday the 31st of January. The show will be going out at 11am on Fridays and it'll be repeated at 2am in the morning on Tuesdays, which I think is a great place for getting better acquainted I, I think this show could work really nicely as late night radio I have had periods of my life where I've listened to late night radio and I think I would have loved a, a show like this this is the kind of show I always enjoyed when it was repeated uh, in the middle of the night on Radio 4 so have a listen to Res 
Resonance 104.4 FM. If you can't pick up that frequency because you're not in London, where Resonance FM is, you can listen online at resonancefm.com. It's a really great station which commissions the kind of audio that doesn't get commissioned elsewhere. To help them to carry on doing that, they need financial support, they need to raise money. In order to get money from the Arts Council, they need to get money themselves. If you like what I do, why not consider going and supporting Resonance FM to help them to keep putting getting better acquainted out on their airways. You can do that over on their website too, so please go over there and donate. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted, or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.